You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. I want to talk to you this morning about the dangers of disobedience. So whenever you have to talk to anybody about obeying or not obeying, it's really not an exciting time, right? I don't care if you are a school principal. I don't care if you are a parent. I don't care if you are a supervisor, if you are law enforcement, just whatever arena that you're in. If you have to sit down and talk about obedience, you know, I don't know, most people, I don't find fun in that. I don't like being on either side of that conversation. You know, one receiving, like, hey, you haven't been obedient. I don't like being on the other side, hey, you are not doing what you should be doing. But nonetheless, chapter 15 of 1 Samuel is for you and for me to learn about the dangers of disobedience. We're going to find out this morning or see from King Saul, king of Israel, what not to do. Now, we're all going to make mistakes in life. We're all going to mess up. That's human nature, right? We are sinners by nature. We don't do things well. And I'll tell you a secret. It's better to learn from other people's mistakes than your own. They don't hurt as much. Like, it's better to say, oh, I see that car just went off the ditch. I don't think I'll go over there. You know, it's better to kind of learn from the mess that somebody else made. And so this morning, let's do that. Let's see where Saul messed up. And he... He did it 99% right, maybe 90% right. I don't know how you'd quantify it, but he got it mostly right. But in God's book, mostly right is all wrong. You know, each of us kind of looks at obedience differently. For some of us, close is good enough. Some of you grew up in a home where, man, my mom or my dad or my whomever, they were just so strict, you know, just, I mean, right to the letter of the law. Some of you are like, eh, they were pretty close. Others are like, yeah, I could get away with anything. You know, I could talk my way out of anything, you know, with my grandmother or my mom, or maybe the grandmother was strict. I don't know. But we're going to see this morning that God is the one that sets the standard and the measure of what obedience is, and it really doesn't line up often with what we think. So look with me in 1 Samuel 15. Look at verse, we're going to start in verse 2 and kind of pick it up there. So here's what the Bible says. Samuel goes to Saul, and he basically is saying, Saul, I got a job for you. Actually, the God in heaven has a job for you to do. And he says this, Samuel says, Thus says the Lord of hosts. When God speaks, you and I are supposed to listen. And when the Bible said, when Samuel says the Lord of hosts, he doesn't say the holy God of heaven. He doesn't say the Savior of the world. He says the Lord of hosts, which is a reminder. A host is a whole bunch of things, right? So, This is the God of heaven, the I am, who is the God that oversees all of the armies, all of things in this world. He is speaking to you, so pay attention what he has for you. He says, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Samuel is jumping all the way back to the book of Exodus. Hey, Saul, when God delivered Israel from Pharaoh and from all of the plagues and all of that that was going on and was leading them here to the promised land, he said, I recognized what Amalek did to Israel. God has a really long memory. We often think we get away with stuff. Teenagers really are good at thinking they get away with stuff, you know, where it's just who we are as human beings. Ooh, I got by on that one. And God's like, yeah, no, you didn't. I still remember And so now it's time that God is bringing that people, that nation to account. He says, I noticed how they opposed them in the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike. Here's one's a hard one. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction. 
That is code for absolute annihilation out of a devotion to God. Whoa. Today that might be called jihad. It might be called genocide. It might be called holy war. Yeah, that, some of that is in the Bible. Listen to this, though. He says, devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, Oof. ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Says, Samuel, I've got a job for you to do. Now, folks, that's a hard verse to accept, is it not? Can we all agree? I don't care what your religion, what your background is, and faith, whatever, that is hard to do. That is not a job I want to carry out in any day, shape, or form. And if it doesn't cause questions in your mind and heart, then I'm like, you're either not thinking or you don't care because it's like, how can God be a holy, loving God? Like, what is up with that? What is wrong with these people? And these people today aren't those people back then. That was centuries ago. And so here's the deal. We don't have time. My whole focus isn't trying to walk through the, the ethics of this or the morality of this, but if I don't deal with it, you'll be hung up on this the rest of the morning. So this whole chapter is about more than this. But in essence, when you recognize that God is the sole owner of the universe, there's a whole lot of things that seem hard in Scripture that get a lot easier to accept. This world belongs to God. He is the one that is in charge, and He is a holy God. And when you accept that He is a good God and a holy God, that He always does things that are right, then you say, well, God's in charge. It belongs to him. He must understand why this is right, because I sure don't. And when you recognize that you are limited in your understanding, it's a little easier to understand. Now, later on in the chapter, I'll, I'll share you a little secret. When Saul, I'll give you kind of the little insider thing. Saul does not obey God. He doesn't do exactly this. And that's the disobedience that we're going to talk about a bit about. And Samuel calls him to account. But later on... Samuel comes, and Saul keeps the king alive, and Samuel goes, and he kills the king, and here's what Samuel says to the king before he kills him in verse 33. If you have your, it's not going to be on the screen. If you have your Bible or your phone open, you can read it, but it says this. Samuel says, as your sword has made women childless, that's what Samuel said to the king of Amalek, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. You see, God was bringing judgment upon this people because of their actions, because of their sins. And Saul, God is saying through Samuel, who said, King Agag, you are a guilty murderer. And because of that, your execution is coming upon you. And because of the murders that you have provided and you've done as a people, you see, God doesn't do anything random. God never punishes innocent people, never once. He only, we, he only deals with the sins and the wrongs that we do. And so there's much more of a backstory in all of this that this chapter is not telling us about. But in essence, these people deserved to die. And God said, I, that time is now. I'm not waiting till they just grow old and die and ultimately go to hell. I'm bringing judgment to bear today. And Saul, you, it is your job not to be take it upon yourself to be the executioner. I'm the executioner. I'm telling you to carry that out. This one is on me. So we can talk offline. There'll be maybe some fun discussions on our life groups this week. We can do four, you know, death penalty and not and all of that. But anyway, I'm playing a little bit with you. Hard topic, for real. So the story goes on. Saul goes and does most of that. 
By the way, he spares some people that were living among them. He says, hey, I'm coming in to judge them. Kind of what Israel's telling Hamas. Hey, you who are innocent, you might want to get away from them because we're tired of being attacked and we're going after those that are killing us. But you can get out of there as best as you can. And Saul tells them, the Kenites, he says, hey, we're coming. You've not been bad. This judgment's not on you. And so they leave and Saul goes and kills most of the, the Amalekites. But the key word is most. So we catch up with a story in verse 8. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and did it to destruction, all the people at the edge of the sword. In verse 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag in the best of the sheep, key word best, not the junk, not the leftovers, the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, <clears throat> they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. First thing that I want to recognize this morning when we think about disobedience is that God is grieved when you and I, when we disobey Him. When we disobey Him, He is grieved. Saul obeyed 90% of what God said, but the people said, wait a minute, this is a perfectly good sheep. This is a perfectly good cow. And Saul kept the king alive. I don't know if he saw him as a trophy that he could kind of relish, you know, hey, I beat you, my team beat you, we won the day, you know, you're whatever. I don't know, but he didn't do what God told him to do, and the people didn't. And God's response to this is, is he says, I regret that I've made him king. Now, when you and I regret something, we usually think we made a mistake. I should not have done that. It's an oops. It's a why did I do that? What was I thinking? Even if we look back and say, well, given the information I had, I would have still done the same thing what I knew at the time, but that still was not a good idea. I regret it. Something I want you, us to recognize is, is that God never says oops. God never says I didn't know. God never says I made a mistake. God never says I didn't get this right. God never says, please forgive me, I messed up. When the Bible says that God regretted this, what it's saying is it's putting in terms that you and I can understand, and God is saying, this is a horrible situation. This is not what should have happened. I am grieving that this is going on, and Saul has made a mess of this thing. He's talking to us in terms that we understand. In fact, later on in verse 29, to kind of help us get with it, Samuel says, hey, by the way, God is not a human being. He's not a man that he regrets anything. God is in charge. He's never catching up. He's never feeling like he's behind. He never is like, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't see that one coming. God is over, infinite, over all. He sees all and knows all. And so what he's doing is, is helping us to kind of catch up in the story that when we disobey God, when we go against what God says to do, and we don't do what God says, that in the heart of God, there is a grieving. There is a, a reaction in the middle of that. In fact, there's only two times in the Bible that this word regret is shared. It's a very strong word. The only other time that, that I'm aware of is in the, in the story of Genesis with Noah's flood. When God looks at the world 
And the whole world that he made is just a disaster. It's a whole thing is a mess. Everybody's full of lying and stealing and killing, and it's just a cesspool of sin, the world in which we live today. And God says, I regret that I made people. And he goes and he wipes out the whole world with the flood. So we need to recognize, first thing is that when we disobey God, we think about the consequences of when we do things that are wrong in this world is that there's a God in heaven who is standing and looking at us and He is looking with regret and a grief and a, a shame, if you will, and a heart looking at your actions and mine. So for you and for me, we need to realize that God is always aware and always a front row seat to what is going on in our life. If we would keep that in our mind, it would be kind of a, a way of not doing some of that stuff, wouldn't it? It would be kind of a way of saying, wow, I feel like I'm alone now, but I'm really not, because God sees every bit of it. I don't know how you were. Some kids were kind of submissive when they were growing up, and maybe your kids, you've got one that's that way. And, and some, you know, we, these parents tend to struggle with these. They kind of, a, they call them strong-willed. They just have mind like they're just going to do stuff in life, Right. But because it's that mind and that drives in the heart of an 11-year-old, you know, it's not full of wisdom and it's kind of not always wise. And it can be like, oh, what's going on? So, but at the end of the day, the submissive ones in this room will get this. Like when your parent just like, why did you do that? And that just breaks my heart. And you just melted because you're like, oh, my goodness, the last thing I want to do is disappoint my mom and my dad. Now, some of you are not like that. Some of you are the strong will, like, I don't care how that affected you. I still want to do it. But that's what God's trying to help us to realize is that dad gets is so grieved when we mess up and when we sin that he is watching. That's the first thing that we need to recognize is what our disobedience does to God. It doesn't catch him off guard, but it hits him, and we need to recognize that. Well, the story goes on as Saul, as, as Samuel uh, deals with this thing. And, and the, as the story moves forward in verse 13, the Bible says this. So, so God says that to Samuel, or, or God says to Saul, excuse me, you know, or, or he's saying to Samuel, I regret that I've made him. So Samuel then gets up and he goes to deal with Saul, okay, in verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord. I've performed the commandment of the Lord. Get the picture. Samuel's coming. Samuel was up all night grieving and joining God in just the state of the affairs and the mess that's happened that Saul can't even follow a simple issue. And the issue wasn't like, oh, this is really strong or harsh punishment. It was like, no, we're just going to keep some of the best things and kind of do what we want to do. And so Samuel goes to meet with him, and Saul comes up. Oh, it's a great day. We won the battle. I've done what God told us to do. Blessed is God. <laughs> and Samuel says in verse 14, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul, if you did what you're supposed to do, why am I hearing a bunch of sheep in camp? Last time I checked, Saul, armies don't have sheep and cows hanging around. Where did these things come from, Saul, if you obeyed God? <laughs> and look what Saul said. In verse 15, he says, Well, they've brought them from the... Amalekites. Notice they, not we, they, the people did this. I didn't do it. They did this. They spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the 
and of the oxen. And here's why. To sacrifice to the Lord your God. I don't know why he didn't say our God, but there's something going on in there in his own spiritual faith. They said, we had a good reason. We know what you told us to do, but we saved the best because God deserves the best. And we're going to have a great, wonderful worship service after all of this. And we're going to sacrifice all of this because God is such a wonderful God. It's going to be a great time. This is a great thing, Samuel. And Samuel said to Saul, stop. You ever had one of those conversations? You're like, stop. Enough of the excuses. Enough of the everything. Stop. You are so out to lunch. You are so messed up right now. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And Saul did one of the wisest things he could say. He said, speak. You shut up. And he's like, okay, you talk. And then Saul, Samuel goes on. We don't have time to read all of that. But how God made him king and, and all, of this, all of these things uh, unfolded down the way. So I want us to recognize that only God is the one who gets to decide what is obedience and what is disobedience. God's the only one who gets to decide. If you're building a house for someone, who really gets to decide what's in that house? You as the contractor or the owner? The owner. If you are you know, working on an assembly line and making cars, do you get to decide when you've done a good job and those parts are made well and assembly line's working well, or is it more your supervisor and engineers who are testing things afterward? Oh, it's them. When you're a student, do you get to decide when you've gotten the answers correct on a test or when you, know, you have figured things out and done it well, or is it your teacher? No, it is your teacher. When you get pulled over, well, officer, I wasn't speeding. Officer's like, well, I got the gun right here. And like, that was you, you know, like you didn't do it. Well, I, I had a reason. And God's like, no, you see, we want to decide when we are obeying and when we're not. And it doesn't work that way because there's a God in heaven who's looking at our life. And, so, and we all have lowered what those standards are. We are all functioning out of good enough. I'm close. This is, this is okay. God decides, and ultimately what God is looking for, this is the third thing about obedience, is, is he's looking for follow-through. Any coach of any sport, I don't know all the sports by far, I'm only somewhat familiar with a few of them, but all the sports that I'm familiar, there is always a follow-through, right? If you're throwing a ball, you follow through. If, you're, if somebody is diving, teaching diving, it's like you don't stop your dive when you hit the water, your feet and how everything has to land up. If you're running a race, don't run to the tape. You have to run through the tape because you'll slow down just before you get to the end. There is a follow through. There is a completion of that. And, same, and Saul started well. He ran the race well, but they failed to follow through to the final piece. They got 90% of it done. If you go to the store and you buy a pound of meat, a pound of beef or whatever, or maybe you're vegan or vegetarian, a pound of broccoli, I don't know. You don't buy broccoli like that, but go with me, all right? So you buy a pound of something, you get home, and you're like, this doesn't look right. And you got your recipe rolling, and then you put it on your little scale, like, this is only three-quarters of a pound. Three-quarters of a pound is not a pound. You see, we work in our mind that, you know, that, that close is good enough. Three-quarters of a bridge is not enough. You, you make a bridge that's 90% of the way across the Hudson, you got no business going on that bridge. You know what I mean? That's the way it works with God. 
And that's not the way that we tend to think. We tend to think, well, I got close, I did good enough, everything's all right. And God's like, nope, sorry, you didn't do this. In fact, such a big deal that God tells Sir Samuel to Saul, you are no longer going to be king. I'm raising up somebody else. In fact, I am so grieved over the disaster that you have made in this. It's just like when I had to flood and destroy this world. Follow through is everything in our life. Starting out well. There's plenty of people that start well, but there are very few people that finish well in general in life, right? It's easy to start. It's hard to go all the way, but that's what God is expecting of us in our life. Let me read you the last part. As a part of what Samuel tells Saul, he says this in verse 22. He says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Does Does God really want sacrifices more than obedience? Like you said you were keeping these animals so that you could sacrifice them to the Lord. Doesn't God want obedience more? He says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. The fat of rams is talking about the sacrificial system. Again, taking the animals and sacrificing them to God. A picture of an innocent animal paying for the sins of people so that they could have a relationship with God. It's ultimately a picture of what Jesus had to do on the cross. He's like, does... Does God really want those sacrifices? He says, for rebellion is the sin of divination. Divination is going and fortune-telling, visiting the psychic, going to an astrologer, trying to get all of these secret information that God's like, yeah, that's not for you to know. Reading tea leaves, good luck charms, all that. He's like, hey, you don't do what I tell you to do in rebellion and you disobey. It is just like you are full-on pursuing another god Presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. In other words, you're assuming that everything's good, and it's just like you worshiping another god. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Here's the the next third or fourth thing that I want you to know about obedience. Religious service, religious expressions are less important than obedience. Obedience to God is more important than any kind of religious expression. Here's what I mean by that. So often we feel like, well, I've gone to church all my life. I'm a good person. I've prayed. I've got a Bible and I've even read it and all of that's good. And God's like, yeah, that's all good, but I'm looking at all of this stuff over here. I'd rather you didn't do that stuff and you just obeyed me. How often and how easy it is for you and for me to say, well, I know I've kind of messed up here, but I've done all of this over here. It's good. You see, Saul thought and the people thought that this was going to be a good thing to God. But God looked at it and said, what are you doing? By the way, that was the the destruction of Amalek in some ways was an act of worship to God because it was the whole you know, devote to destruction. Again, that's a heavy thing. That's a whole hard thing, but another conversation we have at another day. But they then thought that they were going to get a chance to sacrifice them their own way. And God is like, why are you doing that? Because those animals belong to me. You wouldn't have had those animals. They didn't belong to you. You see, our worship and our sacrifice to God should always cost us something. 
It's really not as much worship if somebody else gives us $100 and we turn around and drop it in the plate. Now, if they give you $100, your, your wonderful aunt does for Christmas or you know, your grandmother or whatever, and then like, hey, this is your money, do what you want, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to give that to God or I'm going to give it to some other ministry, that is you giving what's yours. But if somebody else gives you money to give on your behalf and it's really never yours, like that's really not worship. And that's what's going on here. God's like, that's not worship. And by the way, I really want obedience more than that. You see, so many of us, and we do this as kind of natural, but we think that we're going to develop our relationship with God. Well, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to listen. I'm going to hear. I'm going to do all these religious things. And God, I'm going to be okay with God because I'm kind of working and making this relationship good. And God's like, yeah, you can do all of that. But I still see sin and disobedience in your life. You see, the first step of worship and the first step of obedience that any of us should take in our life is what Jesus told us in Mark 1 when he said, repent and believe the gospel. He said, believe. The time was fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What, what Jesus is saying is like the time is now. You need to turn away from your sins, which is repentance, admit your disobedience, and turn away from that, and believe, put your faith in Jesus Christ, put your faith in the gospel that I'm coming and to die on the cross of your sins and to rise from the dead. I command you that that's what you need to do. Now, Sean, I thought that when we surrender to Jesus that it's only faith. We talk about faith, and we don't do anything, it's only faith. That's true. But God commands us to take that step of faith. There is a level at which that is a first step of obedience. And he says, guys, believe the gospel. Believe in what Jesus has done and respond to him. That's what he's looking for more than just our religious expressions of going to church and, and all of these things. He's like, you need to know me. Look what he says in Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, he says, the times of ignorance of God are God overlooked, but now he commands all people, commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn from their sins and to trust Jesus. He doesn't tell us to be religious, to do all of these things. He says, look, you need to turn from your sins and trust Jesus. And here's why. Because God, he has fixed a day. This is not a floating holiday. This is not, do we do Christmas Eve Eve or do we do Christmas Eve? This is not a shifting thing. There is a day fixed. It is not moving on which he will judge the world in righteousness. Perfection. What that means is that the standard is nothing other than perfection. So we can trust it. It's good. But at the same time, it goes against everything that's bad and disobedient in us. And he's going to judge the world in righteousness by man. He's talking about Jesus, whom he's appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. We celebrate the resurrection at Easter time and every time that we do the Lord's Supper. And every time we think about the resurrection, it should be a reminder to us that because Jesus rose from the dead, this world is moving toward a fixed date, a date with God where he is judging the world and everything. And so he commands us. Every one of us have sinned before God, but he says, look, the first step that I expect out of you is don't be religious. Don't just say, okay, well, I've got to get religion and I've got to get my life in, in church and all of these things. He's like, the first step for you is to turn from your sins and trust Jesus to forgive you and save you from your sins. That's the first thing of obedience. And then after that, 
We have a relationship of forgiveness, of grace, of oneness with God. And out of our love for Him, we're to follow Him. And He expects our lifestyle to more and more to line up with Him, to not make excuses like Saul did. In fact, Saul was so clueless, he even made a monument to himself. I didn't read that passage in there, but in between when they won the day and they're partying, getting ready to sacrifice these animals, and Saul and Samuel comes, he makes a monument to himself. And so how clueless we get in the middle of all of the things in our life. And we think that we're making this legacy for ourselves and all these things. And, and God's like, no, you need to take care of business and you need to respond that now is the time because there's a fixed day. Folks, I don't run on fear tactics. I don't run on manipulation. I think you know that. Our pastors and our church don't. But folks, today could be the day that is fixed. You do not have tomorrow. You have today. You got right now, and that's all you've got. You don't have an hour from now. Thanksgiving may not happen. We don't know when that day is. And what Jesus is telling us is, you need to turn from your sins and trust the gospel because God is going to judge this world just as He judged the Amalekites for their sins. He's going to judge this whole world. And when you do not have forgiveness and salvation, you stand just in that same boat as they do. I wish that we could be born in this world good and without sin and disobedience. That's not reality. We all are disobedient. We all have done that. But I'm grateful for a gracious God in heaven who made Jesus the, the solution for our sins, who took so much time through all the centuries and the, the thousands of years to explain to us truth and to warn us of the dangers of not listening and turning to Him. That's what 1 Samuel 15 is all about. It's not to, designed to make us just feel bad or you're just a bad person and can't do anything right. It's a no, you're a sinner, and you have disobeyed, and you need somebody else to forgive you. It's to motivate us to do that. And so Samuel is so clearly just, God is not interested in our religious activity. He wants our heart. He wants our obedience, and our obedience that comes through surrendering to Jesus is that first step. The last couple of things that I'll say, and I'll be done because time is running for us, is that as he unfolds it for him, he says, look, guys, rebellion is the sin of divination. Presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. When you and I disobey God a little bit, it's just like we went outside and erected an idol statue and bowed down to it. Sean, that's kind of rough. Like, I just disobeyed God. I kind of like just cut the corner a little bit, you know. Well, that big of a deal. That's what Saul thought. Hey, I've done what God said. I had, a, I had plan B for the others. We're going to put all these thing, people, these, thing, these animals to death. But it wasn't what God said to do. And the reason your disobedience and mine is so offensive to God is because in that moment, we're saying that we are in charge and God is not. We're saying we're doing what we want to do. We are counter-offering God. We're like, God, I know what you said, but I don't want to do that. I want to do it this way. And that is exactly the same as what it's you and me trusting in someone else, obeying someone else, giving our allegiance and loyalty to someone else. In most cases, it's ourself, if we're being really honest. And it's just like full-on idolatry. 
You see, guys, it's a big deal when we disobey God. It's not a little thing. It's not a little thing. Even we could get into the whole parenting thing. We won't do that. That might be a discussion in some of your life groups this week. I don't know. But, you know, how do you handle disobedience well? Because parents need to help kids know what, you know, the expectations are. And you need to give grace in there and forgiveness and love and know that they are not going to be perfect and nurture and care and all of that. But you also have to say, but you got to do some of these things. This is a way, you know, God's put me as your is your head and is, is authority in your life, but there's a whole piece of navigating that. And I just sense even in our culture and world around us that we just so struggle with just the fact that God is an authoritative God who looks at our life and says, there is, a, there is righteousness and goodness and truth and justice, and I will discipline, I will punish all who haven't found forgiveness and grace in my son Jesus. And then when we do know his son Jesus, he's looking at us and he's expecting us to follow him and not to just blow things off or make them light because it brings destruction ultimately in our life. And the last thing, little piece, is just so significant. But Samuel says to Saul, like, because you rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. For you and me to obey God means that we obey His words. What He's written and what the Holy Spirit leads us to do. We obey them. We, we obey them and um, the things that when you look at Scripture, it's immediately, completely, and without complaint. Saul got two of those three right. He didn't complain. Why do I have to do that? And, you know, he didn't gripe. When you and I complain, we're like the Israelites that complained about what God was doing with them. Complaining, uh, complying with something that God says, but do it while you're complaining. Complying with what your boss says, but complaining all the while is actually disobedience in your heart. Your fingers and hands might be doing the job, but your heart is not. And that's full-on disobedience as well. Saul didn't do that. Saul did it immediately. You know, when God says, do something, do it now, he doesn't mean next year. Saul got up and did it, but what he didn't do, he didn't do it completely. He did it immediately without complaint, but he didn't do it completely. And the Bible's definition of what obedience looks like, when you look at all of the Scripture and all the things, it involves those three things, immediately, completely, without complaint. And, and that's doing what His Word says, the written Word, and once you know Jesus and the Holy Spirit's in your heart and in your life, it means you obeying the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life and, not, and you don't delay that. When God convicts you and realizes that you realize that you, He wants you to do something, then you do it. You don't delay it. So I don't know where you are in your own life and obedience. I'll say I don't enjoy talking about obedience and disobedience. You guys know that, right? You know I love you. These are hard truths that I have to live through and look at my life like, oh my goodness, I've been King Saul before. How often have I done, you know, 90% but left the 10% undone? But we need to recalibrate what our definition of obedience looks like for our own life, for our families, our church. And we need to take seriously that God is looking at that more than how well our singing is or 
how well the, the other religious things that we did or how long we prayed or how long we read a Bible or any of the other kinds of measures that we can measure. He's just looking at us and like, are you going to obey me or not? For some of you this morning, I hope that God has spoken to your heart that you, you have believed in God and you've believed in Jesus your whole life and you've gone to church and been spiritual, but you've never really taken that step of doing what Jesus said to do. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sins and surrender your life and faith to what Jesus did on the cross to save you from your sins. Some of you, you need to take that step of faith today. It's not a complicated thing to do. I'd be glad to talk with you now. I'd be glad to talk with you over pizza. I'd be glad to freeze in the cold at Talisintha watching other people play football. Whatever. But you don't need me. But you need to repent and believe. And God commands us to do that. We don't have tomorrow, folks. And if you do know Jesus, then what's he been speaking to you? Where have you been cutting corners in your life spiritually? If you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, you probably know where those corners are. You probably know where you're kind of, you know, kind of getting by, kind of just, yeah, I know God kind of doesn't like this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Take it seriously. Because God is watching, and He expects obedience. So deal with Him in that matter in your life. Whatever God has spoken in your heart today, respond to Him in that way. Pray with you. Thank you for listening. Join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at River of Life Church, or find us online on Facebook, YouTube, or at RiverAlbany.com.